You may be seated. As we begin today, I want to read a quote from the book that we're going to be looking uh, at. I do pray that you guys are able to grab one today. R.A. Torrey writes this, If we think of the Holy Spirit, as so many do, as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? I love that. If we once grasped the thought that the Holy Spirit is a divine person of infinite majesty, glory, and holiness, and power, who in marvelous condescension has come into our hearts to make his abode there and take possession of our lives and make use of them, he will put us in the dust and keep us in the dust. I can think of no thought more humbling or more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart and is ready to use even me. It is of the highest importance from a standpoint of experience that we know the Holy Spirit as a person. Now, in those thoughts that Tori shares with us, he, he emphasizes thinking of the Holy Spirit as a divine person. Now, all of us would agree. You know, we, we don't have to be a Christian for very long and to sit under very many teachings and to read very much of the Bible to understand that God is a trinity. He is made of, of, of three persons. There are three persons in the Godhead, we will say, right? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we read through the scriptures, we don't see a lot about, a lot of references. I mean, there, there, are, there are enough. There are certainly enough. We'll be looking at, at uh, a number of them today. But a, a lot of reference to the Holy Spirit as a person. And as we understand the reality of the work of the Spirit and his role, it's his role to glorify Jesus, not himself. So when he inspired the Bible writers to write, it was about God the Father and especially about God the Son. That's his role to glorify the name of Jesus. So he will say things about the greatness of Christ, not his own greatness. Does that make sense? I, I think that's one of the things that we're dealing with, one, one of the uh, realities that we're dealing with as we look through the scriptures together. And even today as we, we, we begin to look at the fact of the personhood of the Holy Spirit as well as the deity of the Holy Spirit, we're going to find these things to be true. We're going to be here a number of weeks, and there's going to be a lot of overlapping, you know, because as you're talking about the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives, uh, what he does for us, what he does through us, uh, his place within the Trinity, within the Godhead, you know, three persons that are all God, but there's one God, a tri-unity or Trinity, as we say. You know, these are things that we'll be looking at. But again, a lot of uh, overlapping. You'll be hearing things today that you might hear two months from now as we continue to go 
through the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, so that, that's just the way that this study is going to be. But I, I pray that you are blessed and that each one of us, regardless of how long we've known the Lord, you know, that, that this will at the very least not teach us, not necessarily teach us some things we've never heard. Prayerfully, that will happen to many of us who may have not been a Christian for very long or maybe have never really heard a, a concentrated study on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But at the very least, be reminded to such a degree that we refocus our attention on our relationship with the Holy Spirit as God, as the third person of the Trinity. You know, so th those are some things that I'm praying we're going to see take place. Now, as I introduced here uh, 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 these thoughts out of John 14, verses 16 through 18, we do see Jesus speaking about another helper that the Father is going to send. And in fact, later we're going to see that Jesus says, I will send him from the Father. So th th that's a part of the idea of the uh, uh, authority structure within the Godhead. You know, Jesus is always submitted to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is submitted to both the Father and to Jesus. So you, know, you got the Father who has the ultimate authority as a person, Jesus underneath his authority, and then the Holy Spirit underneath both of their authority. But we see that Jesus speaks about this, this other helper. Uh, and the word another there specifically speaks of uh, a helper like me. And his reference would be to the fact that, that this other helper is God as well. And that as God, God the Son, God the Spirit, that he is able to help even as Jesus was able to help, but even to a greater degree, because later on uh, in, this, uh, uh, pas in, in this passage here, uh, in which Jesus is speaking the night before he was crucified in this uproom discourse, he speaks about the Holy Spirit, and, and he said, you know, if you really love me, come on guys, if you really love me, you'd be glad that, I'd be, that I'm going to be with my Father, because he's greater than me. But I'm also going to leave you the Holy Spirit, and you should be glad that I'm leaving because you get the Holy Spirit. I can't do what the Holy Spirit does. I can't dwell in each one of you. I'm, I'm a man. I can't crawl into your body. The Holy Spirit does. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's something, that's a reality here. And yet Jesus says here in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you as I send the Holy Spirit to you. He is the one I'm sending to be with you, to be your helper, uh, to be the one who is your, your comforter. Uh, there are a number of words that, are trans that this word is translated as, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. I'm kind of getting ahead in my notes as I'm thinking about this right now. So let's just go get ahead and get to the notes so we do this in the proper order. So we see that the Holy Spirit is, of course, a person. And I want to ask for your patience for just one moment because something I did not do on my iPad is remove the two-minute auto lock. <laughs> it keeps going. I, if I talk for two minutes, it shuts down. I'm going to just put never. Now I just have to remember 
to remove that later or I'm going to lose my battery. Anyway, okay. Um, there are certain personality traits that we see that the Bible gives to the Holy Spirit that we're going to be looking at here this morning. One is knowledge. Secondly is feeling or emotion. And thirdly is a will. The Holy Spirit has a will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, we see these words written by the Apostle Paul. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what, is, for what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. This tells us that we des desperately need the Holy Spirit in order to begin to understand the things of God, because no one knows the things of God except God himself, his Spirit. And so we need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He knows the things of God. We see that he experiences emotion as well. Romans 15.30, Paul writes, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Here we see Paul referring to the love of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves you. Do you think of the Holy Spirit that way, that he loves you? He is God. We'll be talking about his deity in just a few minutes. He is God as God and God being defined as love. John writes, God is love. The Holy Spirit is love. He loves you. As a person, he loves you. And this is something that, that, that we need to know and understand and respond to. Uh, and even though it is through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, that we receive power, and that word power perhaps could be better said in, in, a, in the sense of a practical way, he is our enablement. He, enable, he enables us to do what God has called us to do, which apart from the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to do. So as we look at the Holy Spirit as our source of power, we can just think of him as a power. And so we try to look for the right switch to ignite the power. We turn on the switch in the back of the room there, the lights come on. Like that, you know, and, and, and it's not that way. He's a person who enables us in his presence, but he loves us. Ephesians 4.30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He does grieve. I guess the question for us is how can I and we need to make this personal, how can I grieve the Holy Spirit of God? And then another question is, in understanding that I can bring grief to him, does that motivate us in any way in terms of the way that we live our lives? 
the things that we do, the things that we participate in, the things we say, how we treat other people, fill in the blank. Does that influence us in any way? Of course, it's enough to know that we can grieve the heart of God the Father and certainly the, the, the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also we grieve, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, from his book called The Counselor about the Holy Spirit, there's another one that you can pick up. He writes this, Because he is loving and kind and friendly, the Holy Spirit may be grieved. He can be grieved because he's loving. There must be love present before there can be grief. When the, when the scripture says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30, it is telling us that he loves us so much that when we insult him, he is grieved. When we ignore him, he is grieved. When we resist him, he is grieved. And when we doubt him, he is grieved. There are many actions that only a person can perform that are done by the Spirit. And there he's commenting on the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God also has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The writings of Paul again. And, and by the way, we're going to be quoting a lot from, from the Apostle Paul. And, well, of course we are. He wrote half the New Testament. So we'll have a lot of quotes from him. But here in chapter 12, uh, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians, in that chapter about the spiritual gifts. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Of course, this is telling us that according to his will, his purpose, his choosing, his understanding, his wisdom as God, he gives spiritual gifts. He distributes these gifts to each one as he wills. The manifestation of the Spirit as that chapter speaks. And the manifestation of the Spirit in that context speaks about the gift or gifts of the Spirit that he may give to each person. Every person who acknowledges Christ as Savior receives a spiritual gift. And we see this here in verse 7 of that same chapter. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What is the purpose of you or I receiving a gift or more than one gifts of the Holy Spirit? That others may profit from it. That others may be blessed. That others may grow in Christ because of the gift that we've received. And that tells us the importance of being involved in the lives of other people. Using the, 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 the reality of the presence of God's Spirit in us, the gift that He has given us so that others can grow. You know, and as, as we are involved in one another's lives, as we are involved in church life, as we're involved in church ministry, and, and we're involved in, in, in taking part in one another's lives 
uh, on a regular basis, whether it's on a Koinonia Sunday, just getting a chance to visit with people, after church on a regular basis, visiting and possibly praying for people. You know, something's go- somebody's going through a terrible time and they need, to, they need to receive the mercy of God, someone with the gift of mercy. God's going to send to that person. If you're willing to be used by God, he'll send you to that person, especially on that day. You won't know why, but you'll go and you'll find out what's going on. You'll, you'll, you'll pour out the gift of mercy on that person, pray for them and so forth and continue those prayers. You know, that kind of thing. It's something that is critical for us. And so to the extent that a person is not involved in church life, not involved in church ministry, serving others within the body of Christ, then the body of Christ becomes somewhat handicapped because we, we at that point, become incomplete because if that person who has a gift of mercy is too much in a hurry to get out of here because his favorite football team is on TV. By the way, that's why you have a DVR. Okay? Um, and anyone who may be watching on Facebook Live, welcome. <laughs> but if you're staying home because of football, please come. This is much more important. Anyway. You get the point. If you've got some other thing going on in your life, now sometimes there's something that you gotta that that that, that are important enough. You know, I mean, we gotta follow the leading of, of, the, of the Lord. But if it's one of those fleshly kind of things, and we're just kind of in a hurry and can't take the time, then then somebody's not being ministered to, and that means that at least a portion of the body of Christ, one member of the body of Christ, is hurting and unable to do his or her own part because of this injury, it's like the human body. You know, uh, just recently, I was telling you recently about uh, how uh, my grandson uh, Jonah is playing football. The other day he sprained his foot, uh, his, uh, his left ankle actually, he sprained his left ankle. And so he can't participate right now because of that ankle and, and until healing comes part uh, comes to him he'll, he'll be able to to, to, to rejoin the football team and, and so forth but the same in the body of Christ you've got some kind of an injury emotional hurt perhaps something that's going on but uh, you, you get the point but God gives to us to us through the Holy Spirit by his spirit a particular gift for the profit of all. And he's the one who determines it. And what, a, what an incredible truth it is that you and I are given gifts by the Holy Spirit according to his, remember, he's God. So he has all the attributes of God. He has a particular role within the Godhead as he ministers to the church, as he is in the church. We as a church are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? This is where he dwells. And each one of us as a, as a believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. So in all of that, he as God with all of his wisdom, with all of his knowledge, with all of his understanding, with all of his power, with all of his love, with all of his, all of his mercy, all of his grace, anything you can assign to God, you can assign to the Holy Spirit because he is God. In that wisdom and in that love and, and in his desire for you 
to be blessed and in his desire for others to be blessed, he gives to you a particular gift to use within the body of Christ. Isn't that cool? He knows. You know, so let's be sure we're not in any way resisting his work. Now, there are some things that the Holy Spirit does that only a person can do. You're going on with the explanation that he is a person. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, again, Paul writing. Um, and, and let's remember, when I say Paul writing, he's writing under the influence of this same Holy Spirit, right? Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know that we should pray for, excuse me, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit in us helps us. Of course, he's our helper. Jesus made reference to that in the verse that we just read. Chapter 14, verse 6 in John, I will pray the Father that he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. We also see that in this passage in Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit prays for us, making intercession for us with groanings. He also searches the heart as the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 2, verse 7, the Apostle John writing, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the Holy Spirit speaks to the churches. John 14, 26 Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit teaches. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So the Holy Spirit gives testimony to Jesus Christ, also of God the Father, but especially of Jesus Christ. John 16, verses 13 to 15, Jesus speaking still in the upper room discourse. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So that's one of the things we see he does. He guides us into truth. Uh, Romans 8, 14 says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit will lead you. And if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, it brings the question in play, are you truly one of God's children? Now, you can lead without following. You can be led without following. But are you being led? Which would mean that that person is resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in his or her life, right? But being led by the Spirit is a sign of our relationship with God 
through the person of the Holy Spirit. Back to that passage in verse uh, uh, 13. Not only will he guide us into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And I left off the 15th verse here in my, in my work. David, I left one of these verses off of here. Did you notice that? Verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Father gives these things to the Holy Spirit or through Jesus the Son. Uh, so we see that the Holy Spirit is submitted to authority. Um, he doesn't speak on his own, own authority, but, but whatever he hears, he speaks. He only speaks those things that he is given by God the Father or God the Son. He speaks with that authority. And, and again, as I shared earlier, Jesus constantly said, especially in the book of John, that I only give you these things that I receive from my Father. So we see that authority structure there. So he's submitted as a person would submit to authority, and he glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one thing I want you to know, in these passages in John, these three passages I just shared from 1426, 1526, 16, verses 13 to 15, and 13 and 14 especially, note the pronouns that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. They're personal pronouns, aren't they? He, him, his, I mean, in, uh, whom we see in uh, uh, 1426, whom and he. The same with chapter four, 1526. And then out of chapter 16, he, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, and one time his is being used. He's a person. Jesus acknowledged him as a person. He didn't say it. He said he. And so th this is another way, uh, 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 another uh, uh, proof, proof text of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. This is when Paul and his missionary team were, were traveling through Asia Minor. Uh, they wanted to go in one direction. They wanted to go uh, uh, to the north, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit in verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So we, we see that the Holy Spirit not only gives direction, he not only leads, but he, he forbids. That would tell me that when I have in my mind I want to do something, if something comes to me with the Holy Spirit inside of me saying, no, you really shouldn't, I ought to listen to that. Too often we'll just say, oh, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Is that you saying that? No, don't go. Or is that the Holy Spirit saying that? No, don't go. Don't do that. It, it certainly is something that the Holy Spirit will do. He'll speak to us in that way. Are we listening? Right? Let me ask you guys something. In the past week, did something like that happen with you? Look like a bunch of bobbleheads. I don't know what, no, I'm just playing with you. 
You know, it happens on a regular basis, doesn't it? That's because the Holy Spirit is in you and cares for you and wants to give you the right direction. And if you have in your mind to take the wrong direction, he'll correct you. He'll say, no, not a good idea. You know, but if it's something we want to do badly enough, we'll go ahead and ignore the Holy Spirit and bring grief to him because we're just ignoring the reality of his presence in our lives. We're ignoring his love for us. We're ignoring his care for us. We're ignoring the, his, his leading. See, the Holy Spirit given to us to help us to follow Christ, to help us to obey the word, to help us to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we, that we do, to help us become more like Jesus. Isn't that what we want? We need to listen. Paul and his missionary team did listen there in Acts 16. Also, the Holy Spirit can be treated in such a way that only a person can be treated. We've made reference to some of that already. But in Hebrews 10.29, we see this. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, which counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. So here, the writer of Hebrews is speaking about trampling underfoot the Son of God who poured out his blood of the new covenant and at the same time insulting God's Spirit, here called the Spirit of grace. He's also known to be the Spirit of truth. He's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is set apart, who dwells in us to set us apart, to enable us in the setting apart. Now, from the perspective of the, the practical sense and what God sees, we have been set apart through the blood of Christ. So the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and, and the heart, the will, to actually live in a, in a set-apart way. And that, that's the practical side of it. But there's the, there's the uh, theological part in the sense of we are set aside from the perspective of God. In Acts chapter 5, Verses 3 and 4, we went through this uh, a number of weeks ago. Ananias and Sapphira, right? But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. And the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And, and we'll do this to him in our justification for doing something that we want to do that he's leading us not to do. Or in our justification to not do something that he's leading us to do. We'll lie to him in terms of what we see or whatever. You know, and that's, we do that. Anybody here tell a little fib in order to do something you want to do or get something that you want? just in order to, for your own self-justification, 
Now, at the moment, you didn't see it that way, but later, the Holy Spirit said, hey, wait a minute, you, you notice what you did there? He brings conviction to us. Well, here we see that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. We don't have time to talk about Ananias and Sapphira and why all this happened, but we see that truth, but we also see here a beautiful text, proof text of the deity of the Holy Spirit because we see Peter telling Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He ends that fourth verse saying, you've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. So the Holy Spirit is lied to, God is lied to, the Holy Spirit is God. In terms of other passages that deal with the deity of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at four attributes that are given to God. We're going to be looking at the fact that God is eternal, He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, He is omnipotent. We see the same qualities, the same attributes given to the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now Jesus gave himself, offered himself as a sacrifice for us through the Holy Spirit, here called the eternal Spirit. Now, we know the reality, and this is another aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we'll be talking about this later. But when we see that it is through the Spirit, the eternal Spirit, that Jesus offered himself, we have to ask the question, well, okay, Jesus did this through the Spirit. Would he have done this without the Spirit? Did he need the Spirit's help to do this, to do what God the Father had sent him to do. Let's remember that Jesus is, of course, fully God, but when he, came, when he came to this earth, he also came as fully man. As a man, it certainly appears that he needed the help of the Holy Spirit. He listened every single time to do what God, his Father, had called him to do. Jesus didn't receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon himself when he was baptized simply to show us that we need to be baptized with the Spirit. He did it because it was necessary for him as a man. That can be if you're talking this way in certain circles within the church, something quite controversial. And even as I say that, we need to understand it is a controversial thing, but it certainly makes sense to me. Why did he receive the outpouring of the Spirit just prior to him beginning his ministry? If that's not the reason. Does that make sense to you, just looking at this? And so, through the Holy Spirit, he offered himself. But he's eternal. That's the point here in this passage. 
We also see the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't get away from God's Spirit. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Can't get away. Jonah tried. Didn't work for him. Have you ever tried? We all should be doing this right now because every one of us has. At least on one occasion. Okay, do the bobbleheads. Okay, here we go. Okay. We also see that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. We looked at this uh, passage already, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And we're talking about the things of God, the things of an infinite being, infinitely knowing infinite things, certainly we're talking about omniscience. And so the Holy Spirit is um, omniscient. And he is all-powerful, omnipotent. Luke one thirty-five. the angel answered and said to her, this would be to Mary, in regard to the question of how is it that I'm going to give birth I've not yet known a man, right? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. So the Holy Spirit coming upon her is equated with the power of the highest here in this verse. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of of God. The power of the highest is the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he has omnipotence. There are divine works that are attributed to the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. Creation, for example, Job 33:4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104.30, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Genesis 1, 1 to 3, very familiar words. In the beginning, God, and by the way, let's always remember, if you can, be, if you can believe in those first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, if that is real for you, then the rest of the scriptures, the rest of God's truth, can just kind of fall into place. Isn't that true? In the beginning, God already was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God took part 
in creation, when, when we see God being called Elohim, that, that, that's, that's the word being used referring to God. It's in the plural sense. It could, it, and we think that we're plural to our plural, but that particular uh, nuance in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it is three or more plural. And so it's referring to three separate persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He also imparts life. We saw that already in Job 33, 4, and the breath of the Almighty gives life, right? The breath of the Almighty is a, is a term for the Holy Spirit because the word breath is the same word as the word spirit in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And so th those are important things to know, but he imparts life. John 6, 63, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so the spirit gives life. And in that passage, we also see that the spirit takes part in the resurrection of Jesus. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. So we, we see the reality of that as well. And then we also see the work of bringing divine prophecies. 2 Peter 1.21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. There are passages in the New Testament that refer to the Holy Spirit as saying or doing something that the Old Testament attributes to God. Thus, God and the Holy Spirit being equated. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. When we, we, let's read that. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. This is Isaiah responding. And God said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their eyes heavy, and, sh and shut their eyes, and so forth. Then in Acts chapter 28, verses 25 to, seven, to 27, Paul is speaking. He says, so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, and then he quotes that same passage out of Isaiah, equating the Holy Spirit with God, saying that as the Old Testament said God spoke to Isaiah, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit spoke to Isaiah. And so the Holy Spirit is God. Now, the Bible teaches us, the New Testament in particular, that the Holy Spirit as a person is separate and distinct from the other two persons of the Godhead. In Luke 3, verses 21 and 22, here we see the baptism of Jesus. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, 
in you I am well pleased. That's the voice of God from heaven. So we see here the uh, presence of God, the Father, his voice from heaven, God the Son in the Jordan River being baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit physically uh, descending upon him in the form of a dove. All three persons of the Godhead together separately. There are some who teach the doctrine, the false doctrine of modalism, which, which speaks about one God, but he can take any, any of these three forms at any particular time that he may choose to take, but not three separate persons. That's modalism. This is a great proof text against that because we see all three of them present at the same time. Um, at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission, 28 verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The three names mentioned there. And again, verse 16 of John 14, which we mentioned, the, the Father, another helper, even as Jesus says, I will pray the Father, he'll give you another helper, all three referenced there. From the Living Water, Pastor Chuck Smith's book, he says, in Greek, the word translated comforter, I'd mentioned this earlier, there's a list of the ways that this, that, that, uh, that I have here that that, that word is translated. The, the word translated comforter is parakletos. Para is the Greek preposition for with or alongside of, while kletos is the word for called, called to come alongside. So th there, there's uh, um, the fellowship later, the, can, uh, the, the koinonia that we're going to be having, it's, 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 it's related to this, but the parakletos is the idea of someone called alongside to help. Now, as, as Jesus, let me con continue reading here. So Jesus is telling his friends that he will ask the Father to send another helper who will come alongside of them to help them, and the help they will receive would be the helper himself. This word is translated as in, in various translations as helper, comforter, advocate, counselor, intercessor, strengthener, or standby. Those are all different ways that this word parakletos, reference to the Holy Spirit, can be translated, and it speaks of the various ways that he helps us. The various ways that he actually helps us. And so, what an amazing thing. Now, God has placed him within you if you've received Christ as your Savior. If you've not acknowledged Christ as your Savior, that is not true for you. Only when we acknowledge that Christ is our Savior, our only means to make it to heaven, our only means of being rescued or delivered from our sin. It's an amazing thing that God would dwell in us having those qualities to help us. I've already mentioned some passages about how, how we see the authority in the scriptures between the authority of God the Father over God the Son over God the Spirit. 
And I've got some other verses here, John 6.29, John 8.29, John 15.26. We don't need to take a look at those because we are running out of time. See, we're not going to go an hour and a half. But you can, take, you can jot those scriptures down and take a look at them. And, and they're those that I, that, that I referenced earlier about Jesus saying, I only do what, and showing his submission to the Father, the Holy Spirit showing his submission to Jesus. And so we see that particular um, authority structure within the Godhead. Now, as we consider the words that we heard from, from our Atori early on, I'm going to read this again. I, I love this. I, I, I love the way that Tori writes this. He says, I can think of no thought more humbling or more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart and is ready to use even me. It's a mind-blowing thought when we actually consider it. And we have to, we have to come to the conclusion. I mean, we've got to be, as we receive that, that thought, as we understand that truth, it's like, really? God, you want to dwell in me, the sinner that I am? Yes, he's cleansed us, but we still sin. We still have this battle with sin. Positionally speaking, we are cleansed, practically speaking. We, we live as if we're cleansed more and more and more as we walk with the Lord, but we're not there yet. And we won't be completely until he takes us to be home with him, whether it's the rapture of the church or he just takes us individually and we have our own rapture, you know, we, we meet him. But to think that God wants to dwell in you that the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Godhead, as a person, he, he loves you. He wants you for himself. He prays for you. He desires the best for you. He's the one that, that, that gives us the connection with, with God because he, being God, is the one who is placed in us. He dwells within us. Now, we will, we will talk, and there are passages in the book of John as Jesus speaks in his uh, uproom discourse, chapters 14, 15, 16, in which Jesus speaks about, you know, if, if we are obedient to the, to the scriptures, if we obey, if we are following after Christ in that way, then, then, then he comes to be with us and the Father comes to be with us as well. And, and it just some powerful things there in, ter in terms of the entire Godhead being with us. But Jesus dwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your and is my connection with God the Father and God the Son. Without him, we would not be able to hear from him. Without him, we would not have the spiritual understanding of the scriptures. Without him, we would not be enabled to live for Christ. Without him, we would not know what he wants us to do. Without him, we would not receive the grace that God gives to us. Without him, we would not receive the mercy that God gives to us. I mean, Jesus himself, through 
the eternal spirit offered himself. That's a mind-blowing thing, isn't it? Without the Holy Spirit, it's never would have happened. Without the, under, without the Holy Spirit, we would not understand it. Without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even know about it because he's the one that inspired the writers to write these things. The Holy Spirit. We cannot survive without him. And we need to begin to think of him in those terms, but as a person that we cannot live without. I, I think we more readily will say that about the Father and the Son, but not the Holy Spirit normally. And I think that, that well, what I mentioned earlier about it's the Holy Spirit's work, his role to glorify Jesus, and that's why we don't see it all that much. You know, and we might thank the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit might say, no, Jesus. You know, I mean, he's there to glorify Jesus. We've got to acknowledge him. We've got to acknowledge him. A number of years ago, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, a book about the Holy Spirit. It's another one that you might want to pick up. There's a number of them, but these that I mentioned earlier in particular. When we consider the reality that the Holy Spirit is indeed God, that he's a separate person from the Father and the Son. As a person, he loves us, wants us, and all the things that I've said already. The question for us is that at this point is, are we responding to that? Are we responding to him? Do we speak of the Holy Spirit, and do we think of him as someone that we can have a relationship with. Because he's a person. I pray that we do. And if not, if not, do you think we should? I think we should too. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit whom you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've placed him in our lives, in our hearts to dwell within us and that we are indeed his temple, his dwelling place. Thank you for that truth. I pray, God, that every person in this room would come to a greater understanding of the importance, that, uh, the, importance of the role that your spirit plays in our lives. And Lord, might we truly understand that we cannot survive as a believer apart from his work in our lives. And so, God, we invite you, even as we understand that you dwell within us, Lord, would you also, and we talked about this last week, would you, even as you came upon those, th those Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, come upon us again today? Lord, teach us and encourage us on a daily basis to ask for your filling, your filling, not only to be baptized with your spirit, but to be refilled with your spirit on a daily basis that we may be empowered, enabled to live for you. And so, God, have your way with us. Do your work in us and for us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.